And that's, I think, the nature of art, you know, is to ask questions about the world in which we live, you know. You are listening to Wake Up Beaumont, a podcast about local politics that affect the city of Beaumont, Texas. My name is Julia, and today I talk to artist Prince Varghese Thomas about his current work at the Art Museum of Southeast Texas. It is on display now until December 1st, so if you haven't seen it, I hope this conversation inspires you to do so. And if you have seen it, this dive into the artist's mind will give you a different angle to appreciate the art in. There is a little adult language in this episode, but it's only a bit. Also, I apologize for coughing in the background. I was dying during the middle of our interview. Please enjoy. My name is Prince Varghese Thomas. I am a professor of art at Lamar University, and I currently have a solo exhibition at the Art Museum of Southeast Texas here in Beaumont, Texas. Growing up, Thomas became the family photographer at about 10 years old, picking up a camera and experimenting from middle school through college. But he was interested in many other subjects. So I was a philosophy major. I was a history major. I was a computer science major. I was, oh God, a couple of other things too. And finally fell into psychology and I was like, oh wow, this is a great subject. And so I fell in love. I was taking courses in that. And so a buddy of mine, the semester before I was graduating, said, hey, you know, you'd been taking pictures your whole life. Why don't you take an art class before you get this degree? And I was like, that's not a bad idea. So I took my first photo class and fell in love and went, you know, this is where I really should be. So I got my degree in psychology and then moved on to graduate school uh, to study art. And because I didn't have that foundation, you know, if you're getting a BFA degree, you're getting trained in sculpture, painting, drawing, and all these other mediums to find what you're focused on. And then you concentrate in that because I didn't have that background. The world was open to me. So for me, the idea dictates the medium versus uh, just uh, historical baggage of I studied as a photographer, so I must always do this, right? So for me, I'm much more organic in how I operate. The mixture of influences from history to philosophy is evident in his work, especially his current show, which tackles the subject our society has been questioning the last couple of years. How does social media affect us? From TED Talks to Senate hearings with Mark Zuckerberg to content creators urging people to go on social media fasts and also urging them to follow and subscribe to learn how. It seems like we are all tuned in to the conversation about the ways in which we are affected by the little pixels on our phones. People report being more lonely in the most connected era of human existence. We all suffer from a little bit of FOMO and envy when scrolling through the lives of people we know or celebrities we follow. And then, there are small groups of homeland terrorists who publish manifestos online before attacking innocent people in the name of white supremacy, then to be lauded and called saints on the message boards they were radicalized on. The internet is truly a scary place. 
Thomas's work touches on some of these questions in conversations about representation online and how those representations can affect others and ourselves. And so I, the germ or seed of this idea, actually, I had written down in my sketchbook almost a decade ago. And it was one of those things of I need to find the right space and the right circumstance to pursue it. So it was always on the back burner. And then AMSET approached me uh, about two years ago and said, you know, we've been following you for years. We want to do something with you. And so initially, we had talked about doing a retrospective of my work because, uh, you know, I've been a professional artist for 25 years now, so I have X amount of work already generated. And as we were discussing, my wife and I talked, and she was like, you know, this is going to be your only opportunity to show at AMSAC because they're not going to show artists over and over and over again. And because they offered me the entire museum, it gave me an opportunity to explore ideas that were in, you know, the back of my mind of there's art to be made here, but I just haven't found the right circumstance. So that kind of um, was the filter to getting into this. And, and obviously for myself as an immigrant, for myself as a citizen, for myself as an other, I am keenly tuned into observing culture. And all my work is related to culture in one form or another. And, you know, with the social media phenomena that we saw explode, you know, in a way we couldn't have predicted uh, in the 2016 election, you know, it seemed like the perfect time to explore how social media as an entity uh, uh, affects and effects our culture. Tell me a little more about the seed of the idea you had a decade ago, because looking at the show, it feels um, very current to like 2016 and moving forward. Well, even back then, you know, there was already this need. And, you know, I, I, I can't necessarily say social media created it, because I think within all all of us, myself included, you know, we have a certain level of narcissism in it, right, in ourselves as humans. But what social, what I started noticing that social media did was it amplified it, you know, on smallest of levels. And then culturally, things were changing too, because if you remember about a decade ago, if not longer, you know, kids started getting graduations for kindergarten and all these various sorts of participation awards, which, you know, creates a sense of um, accomplishment, I'm sure for the kid, but a privilege that, a privilege without really uh, having the chops, let's say. And that you know, also is a subproduct of manifesting how we can view ourselves as the center of our universes, right? And when we're all the center of our own universe, we forget about the community in which we live, which creates a problem in terms of civilization, right? Because we all have to live with each other. And so, you know, these social dynamics that were getting played out was what I found, you know, there's something interesting to make art about. One of the pieces in the show is a row of matte black trophies with plaques that say things like best cryptic message, something we've all done or encountered online. 
You know, that particular piece, there's a lot of under uh, current social media things going on in that piece too. So there's the literal trophies, right? And the trophies themselves I acquired from resale shops, Salvation Armies, blah, blah, blah. So one part is I like the idea of these things that were very special to people at one point. They were significant, and then at some point they threw it away. And so I liked reclaiming that and giving it back some importance. And then there's the listing of what each trophy stands for and our collective you know, consciousness of the things we hate about what people post, right? But the paint itself that I'm using for that trophy, there's an artist, a very famous artist. His name is Anish Kapoor, and he's out of England. And he worked with a company, uh, an engineering company called Surrey Nanosystems uh, to make this black that is the densest black ever produced in the world. It's like a 99 or 98.6% reflectance. So it, it absorbs all light. And so he, with that company, created this. And once they created it, he claimed the patent on it of no other artist can use this paint. And so that created this upheaval within the art world of how dare you fucker, you know, how dare you, you know, claim a, you know, a material, right? So then another artist in England, uh, his name is Stuart Semple, he went, fuck that. And so he worked with a group of artists and um, uh, um, uh, chemist, uh, chemistry engineers <laughs> and created his own version, right? And his version... Now he's in version 3.0, which is getting really close to the Surrey Nanosystems uh, Vanta Black. And he is selling it at cost. And the, his only requirement was that that artist, Anish Kapoor, cannot buy this paint. And so Kapoor buys the paint, dips his finger into the paint and through uh, social media, flips off, uh, takes a picture of him flipping off the other guy with it. And so there was this whole undercurrent of social media, you know, gossip going on with that piece as well. In the same room, there is a giant mosaic portrait of two strong, stoic women. But the closer you get, you realize the women are made up of belfies and for those of you who are not familiar with that word, a belfie is a butt selfie. I'm exploring so many different avenues of how we present ourselves to the world or what we are influenced by or how we engage, right? So that particular piece is, you know, very heavy and dense in terms of historical context, in terms of uh questions, you know, that I ask of myself because, you know, we have uh, two seminal women uh, as the foundation image for that piece who are, you know, part of the second wave of feminism. And it was this interesting question for me of seeing what's getting played out now and, you know, wondering how would these people who, you know, whose shoulders we all stand on. Like, I'm a feminist, right? I'm a male, but I'm a feminist, right? Because, you know, feminism's roots are in minority roots as well, right? Um, but so it was interesting to me of how women are freely presenting themselves. And when, you know, you're the presenter of yourself, there's a, a claim of the power, 
right? It's no longer uh, someone else taking a picture of a woman and putting it out there. When it's the, the person themselves putting it out there, they have took hold of their own image, their own power to say, this is how I choose to present myself. So in terms of a historical notion of how art and the female body is portrayed, where historically it was always a guy painting a naked picture of a woman for another guys or guys taking photos, nude photos of women, when it's the actual individual presenting themselves, they have claimed the power of their sight, right, to present out. But for me, the 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 turn of that, because I, I totally bought into that. And I when you know when I talk to other people that actually do post belfies of themselves, you know, it's they claim it as an act of power. And I understand that, but for me, the turn was when you put it onto a social media site that gives likes, you know, it you kind of are giving up your own power as well. And there's this weird need then of you know, like a self-reflexive loop of, am I doing this for the likes or am I doing this just for myself? You know, and it's a strange turn. So it was a question. I don't have the answer, right? The whole show is just posing questions. I have no answers, right? Uh, but it was a question that I found interesting to ask. And then at the same time, uh, you know, as a male, do I even have an authority to even ask the question, you know, versus being perceived as mansplaining, right? So that, too, in itself was an interesting question to ask. So uh, that's kind of the roots of that piece. There's a video that really got to me. It's in the back of the gallery, and the video shows talented singers of color belting classical patriotic songs and then being told a host of ugly things from go back to your country to racial slurs. What I thought when I watched this was about every person of color who has an experience like this, where someone tells them they aren't American enough, even if they are the epitome of what we think of as patriotic, as, their, as veterans or as people who are contributing to the country through activism, or protesting, or speaking out against what they think is wrong. And in a society where parts of this country refuse to acknowledge that racism and colorism is alive and thriving, the connection I had with the video was very strong. Right, so, you know, the idea came of, like, you know, working with professional uh, vocalists and singing these iconic American songs where they get interrupted by specifically what you hear in that video piece are word for word quotes from that other people have said to each other on the three major news sites. So CNN, and uh, MSNBC and Fox News were the three I chose. And they're hard news stories about what's happening today. And those are the comments that people make to one another based on those hard news stories that are happening right now. And when you just listen to those things, you know, it's, it's horrific what we in these virtual worlds, you know, say to one another. And the question that's there to be asked is, you know, is it in the safety of these dark places that they do this sort of thing? Or is there, you know, a hidden level of truth 
in these things because, you know, there's that trolling aspect of people wanting to um, just poke at each other. But uh, the other aspect of that is, you know, is there, you know, breadcrumbs of how people really believe in their, you know, you know, private homes, private spaces that are getting put out as well? And what does it say about us as a culture that we no longer have a place for civil discourse, where we no longer can choose to disagree, have a discussion, and it's okay. You know, it's that's a scary place to be when we're not allowed to, be, it's okay to disagree, you know? We didn't touch on the typography work that visually represents the marriage of social media and politics in words expressed online from the man currently in the White House. While those were some of my favorite pieces, the intention behind them is pretty explicit. There is one work that says, truth is not truth, with beautiful designs. When you first look at it, it just seems innocuous. You're just like, wow, that's really, that's really pretty. But the more you look at it, and the more you really think about the message, the more terrifying it is. We'll take a quick break and conclude our conversation with Prince when we get back. Thank you for listening to this episode of Wake Up Beaumont. This show wouldn't get done without the generosity of Patreons, who are people in this community who give sustained support from $1 a month to $30 a month. That gets rent on the studio paid and helps me reach other goals. Not only do you get a warm, fuzzy feeling for supporting small projects, but you can get all kinds of perks, including a monthly newsletter, bonus episodes, and additional conversations. Patrons who contribute $10 a month will have access to a deleted conversation that I had with Prince about the art scene in Southeast Texas and how Lamar Art Program stacks up against other Ivy League universities that he's worked at. Check out www.patreon.com slash wakeupbeaumont and thank you so much for considering it. The last piece of the exhibit we talked about was the Masters of the Universe, portraits of people with oddly familiar faces. Uh, the YouTube, the, the YouTube stars I chose, I chose specifically to be the top earners. So it was a monetary-based thing. Okay. So the largest subscription bases <laughs> they give them the largest amounts of dollars, right? And you know because uh, we in public genre now call them content creators you know i was interested in okay these are the top earners with the most subscribers the most um you know the pieces called masters of the universe and each each of these people kind of have created their own mini universe with their own mini populations of people that follow them right and it's interesting to see one you know as a population you know, what engages us these days, um, whether that be, you know, people just unboxing a very valuable watch or watching someone play video games or watching someone's daily life, you know, oh, I'm going to the bathroom now, you know, and, and what is it about us that 
get something off of watching these other lives, right? So I was curious about one, what do we call content these days? Two, how are we as a culture occupying our time? And three, who am I to say this form of entertainment is any less valid than any other form of entertainment, you know? So those are the kind of things that I was bouncing in my own head as I made that particular series of works. And then I integrated them into very famous uh, paintings by Rembrandt or Goya or, you know, uh, David, simply to, you know, if you think about it, okay, you know, painting was this very important thing that we, you know, people back in the day did to record either very powerful people, very rich people, significant people, etc. So I wanted to give these people on YouTube that same level of gravitas. And, it, you know, it's tongue-in-cheek, you know, there's a sense of humor to the absurdity of it all, right, that I wanted to emphasize, and that's how that work kind of plays out. Um, so are there any ideas or pieces that you left on the cutting room floor? <sighs> well, okay, that's a little complicated because in the last two years, I have had four one-person solo shows of four different bodies of work. So I have literally been boom, 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 and working on this while working on that while working on that. So, I mean, when this show opened was the first time I've been able to just pause and breathe in the last three to four years. Because, you know, as shows come up, your things are programmed out, you know, years in advance. So it's just been nonstop working, working, working. And I'm at the point right now, which is the the best and scariest place for an artist, which is what's next. Because all possibilities are open and also what the fuck do I do next, right? So uh, that's where I am right now. So in terms of what I left on the floor, I can't tell you because uh, one, they might show up again somewhere down the road, but two, it's just been, you know, this whirlwind of things. So it, everything is kind of blended for the last few years into, you know, one just massive working time. I'm a project-based artist, so, you know, I work on very specific topics, like I've, you know, critiqued the pharmaceutical industry, I've critiqued um, cultural identity, I've critiqued news and journalism, um, you know, I've critiqued grief and mourning, uh, or explored grief, and so I, I explore various subjects very intensely in depth, and then I'll maybe work on something else and then come back to it. I mean, it, it's very, that working process is very organic. So I, I'm unable to tell you that this is it or this isn't it. It's when another opportunity comes or if another idea that I want to plug in goes, I just do it and we move on and keep just working because there's I have so many tentacles out there of different types of subjects that I'm interested in exploring that uh, uh, I work much more organically. And that's, I think, the nature of art, you know, is to ask questions about the world in which we live, you know. Uh, and, you know, uh, for myself, uh, as an artist of color, um, questioning culture is important, you know. Um, there's an expression uh, that uh, I've heard, and I, for, I forget who I could attribute it to, so I'm going to misquote somebody, but uh, they said, in essence, all art is political. And what they meant by that was 
if you are choosing to paint a picture of a landscape, that is because you have chosen in your world, it's okay. You know, that is, you have, there's no pressing issue for you that manifested itself into, I must speak about this, right? So, uh, you know, it's the, even if not having a position is actually having a position, right? So for myself, uh, I get off on being engaged with the world that I live in. You know, as an artist, that is my unique moment. I live in this present time. It's never existed in this way in the history of man and never will or woman, right? History of people and never will. So I choose to make my subjects about this unique thing versus others choose to make work about this unique arrangement of flowers, right? Because the beauty of the art world is there's room for everyone, you know? And that is a lovely place. There's a neon sign in the gallery that says, social media is the opiate of the masses. Looking back at the opening reception, which I attended with my partner, I realized that Prince, who I hadn't met at the time and didn't know that he was the artist, was watching me get my picture taken and taking selfies in front of that sign, which of course is super meta. The critique of social media to be displayed on social media for the acclaim of other woke people scrolling through social media on their phones to be like, yeah, man, opiate of the masses. It just must have been so interesting to watch people reacting and interacting with the art in such an ironic way. Did we know what we were doing consciously? Or have we gone down the social media rabbit hole so far that it is now totally natural to take pictures at exhibitions without really thinking about it? I mean, because if there aren't pics, it didn't happen, right? Thank you so much for listening to this episode featuring artist Prince Varghese Thomas. Please go see the show, even if you have already seen it. The show will be up at the Art Museum of Southeast Texas, located on 500 Main Street in downtown Beaumont, from right now until December 1st. Admission is always free, and the museum hours are super accessible. It's open Monday through Friday from 9 to 5, but if you work during those hours, check it out on Saturdays from 10 to 5, or Sundays from 12 to 5. And to give a shout-out to the AMSET, they have been an incredible institution to work with. The team of people they have there, incredibly friendly, incredibly helpful, incredibly hard workers. I mean, you know, to just to give you just one small example before I wrap up on that is... Where could you ever see the director of a museum patching up walls? You know, they all bust their ass there. And uh, executive board, if you're listening, all of them deserve a raise. Follow Prince on Instagram with the handle PrinceVThomas underscore art. Uh, some of this work from this show is actually going to be at my gallery in Houston in March. 
at Hooks Epstein Galleries in Houston uh, that corresponds with PhotoFest, which is the international biennial of photography that happens only in Houston. So it's the biggest survey of photography work in the world and photographers, curators from all of the world converge on Houston uh, for a month-long celebration of photography. So some of the work from this show, the, the YouTube stars specifically, will be part of that show at my gallery. I'd love to hear what you thought about this interview, the exhibit, social media, and anything else you'd like to say on Facebook, Instagram, or the website, which has links to resources in every episode at www.wakeupbeaumont.com. Thanks again for listening, and remember, change begins in the city you live. Wake up, Beaumont. I have a background in, that's in a whole other life. I was a musician at one point in my life as well. I played bass, you know, and I have my gear still. I have a Fender Precision with a carbon stack. And my only claim to fame is back in the day, uh, do you remember a band named the, the New Bohemians? Edie Bricot and the New Bohemians. She later married Paul Simon. I'm not aware of too many things. I know what I know. It's There's a big popular song in the It was a big popular song in the 90s. Anyway, and we were the opening act for them back in the day. Cool. And back then, Island Records was signing a bunch of people, and they wanted to sign us. And as usual with bands, the guitarist and the drummer got into a fight the next day. We broke up. I moved on to graduate school. Hence, my art career began. But now I forget where I was going. What did we start off with? What was your question? <laughs> I don't even... I, I ramble. I, I did to ramble, but... I don't remember your question now. Oh, the musicality and the video piece.